Our topic this week, out of the book of Malachi, chapter 2, I've entitled, or I have titled, but I'm not going to give you the title for another couple slides. So first let's uh, read from chapter 2, starting in verse 11. We did 1 through 10, a different week, a whole different sermon. So now picking up with 11, a whole different sermon, not related to the first part. Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. What is the holy institution that God loves that is being mentioned here? Anyone know? Okay, that is a holy institution. God's people is a holy institution, but that's not the one he's referring to here. What is another holy institution that God loves? Sabbath is a holy institution that God loves. Without a doubt, the Sabbath is, uh, goes all the way back to, to before sin, but that's not the one. There's one actually that takes place prior historically that God established. It's the first holy institution that God established. Marriage, Marriage that's right. Marriage and the Sabbath are two holy institutions, and thus God's people are institutions that God has established before sin entered this world. So given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, thus eternal and given to all mankind, predating uh, time, limited time as we know it, with death, uh, and to all mankind. Again, the parents of all mankind. And so in this chapter, he's talking about marriage. As the text continues on, he has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from his tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So he's not an atheist. He's still professing to follow the Lord. He's bringing an offering to the Lord of hosts. But at the same time, he's marrying a daughter of someone who worships a foreign god. And this is a treachery, God calls it, an abomination that God calls this. And we see this is similar to the book of Nehemiah. They had the same problem. And thus Malachi and Nehemiah are parallel books, probably written around the same time. Ezra also right around that time uh, was dealing with some of the same problems. So marriage is the topic here tonight. So Malachi 2, how to have a happy marriage. And Barbara and I, we have been married for 25 happy years. And out of, amen, amen, thank you very much, yes, thank you. And out of 30 years of marriage, 25 happy ones is not too bad. <laughs> now, actually, we've been married 30 wonderful years. Every year has been wonderful, terrific, praise God. And Barbara's even told me that she's given me the last, the best 30 years of her life. So now I'm fearful for what comes next. Right, so those what's left, right? So anyway, I'm just joking, of course, on both those occasions. Some people have a hard time to tell people when, you, when I'm joking because some people don't realize when I'm joking. But I'm only joking when I'm not serious. So that's how you know when I'm joking. So even though this topic is about marriage, it applies really to, uh, to it could apply to everybody because the principles we're going to be looking at and talking about would apply to a single person uh, in preparation for marriage. We should be living these same principles even before we get married, so that when we're married, it would still be, it would already be a ha habitual part of our lives, and then it would help us to have a happy marriage. Now you might be thinking, well, hey, I'm too, too old to get married anyway, and so, you know, whatever, uh, I'm a widow, widower, or whatever, and I'm 80 years old. Well, there's a story of a, a person saying to an 80-year-old friend of his, I hear you're getting married. <laughs> 
And the guy says, yep. Do I know her? Nope. Is she pretty? Not particularly. Is she a good cook? No, she can, she can burn water. Is she got a great personality? Oh, not really. She, she just talks endlessly and doesn't really say anything. I mean, she's as boring as, as watching water evaporate. Well, then why are you marrying her? Because she can still drive. <laughs> so if you still got your driver's license, you still might be able to get married someday. Or, or maybe if you don't, then maybe you'll meet someone who has a driver's license and it'll be a match, right? So, so still hold out hope. There is still hope for you. So this, this seminar will, this or the sermon will be helpful, I think, to everybody. It certainly can be helpful to everyone. Now, we did cover just a couple weeks ago, Nehemiah chapter 13, how to choose a right spouse. And choosing a right spouse is very helpful in then having a happy marriage. Uh, you can still have a happy marriage, even if you made a mistake in the past, uh, learning and following these principles. Uh, but if you missed that sermon, go to shalomadventure.com. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 13, how to choose a, the right spouse. So, Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. This is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So now here Malachi is talking about it, and we'll get into the principles of marriage in a second. We'll cover a few verses here in Malachi chapter 2. So he says, there's a second thing. You're going and now you're weeping and crying and coming to me with tears. Oh, it's having a problem, sores, troubles. Oh my, oh my, oh my and coming with your offering, and God saying, I'm not going to accept your offering anymore. It's the same thing over and over again, and you're not really repentant, you haven't made any changes, and all you're doing is crying, confessing, crying, confessing, crying, confessing, and not really changing, because the power of the Holy Spirit, when we confess our sins and accept the Messiah's death for those sins, or mistakes, or wrong choices from our past, He forgives us and He cleanses us from all unrighteousness, and then he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we have the power not to continue in those sins anymore. And so here they're just crying and going on and weeping and continuing with this. And in context, it said there in verse 14, that the problem with this person or this situation was that the wife of his youth, the one he loved at one time and now has fallen out of love with and he's now treating her treacherously, and crying, oh, we're having such an unhappy marriage. And that's the problem. God's saying, this is, you've made this covenant. It's your companion. Make the best of it. And thus learn the principles we'll be going over that will help you in any marriage situation. Verse 15. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. So God has given us his spirit. So back to the very beginning, the spirit of God, the rock, hovering over the face of the water, and then God making Adam and Eve and making the two one. Miracle of God. And the purpose was then to fill the earth 
And so that's what God created us for and why he gives us his spirit. It's part of the purposes of marriage. And to take care, heed to the spirit that God has placed upon us, our attitude, and how we deal with one another and deal with our spouses, how we treat one another because God wants us to be one and he's able to do that through the outpouring of his Holy Spirit on our hearts and minds. Verse 16, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Take heed that, uh, therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. So this is about the third time. He's saying don't treat treacherously your spouse. Be nice to your spouse. Love your spouse. Be good to your spouse. Because God hates divorce. And too often when people come for counseling, uh, all they want to talk about is their spouse's problems, but here he's dealing with you. Stop dealing treacherously. You're coming and crying and with tears, and you stop. You start being nice. That's where it has to start. It has to start with us. And then God can bless and work healing in the marriage. Because God hates divorce, and it covers one's garments with violence. How does divorce cover one's garments with violence? Well, the two became one flesh, and the only way to make them two again is to cut them in half. It causes bloodshed, causes pain, causes suffering. Both parties end up suffering when there's a divorce, and then the offspring suffer because they came from this one unity, and now there's division in their minds and hearts. And everyone else that's affected, and there's always others, that are affected by divorce. It goes on and it rumbles on. Now the Bible does give occasions where God permits divorce, but he still hates it under adulterous situations. And I've counseled people who have had adultery in the marriage and God has able, been able to heal the marriage even under those situations. So divorce is not a have to divorce. I mean, adultery is not a have to divorce. But if a person doesn't want to be there anymore, doesn't want to be in the marriage, and goes off and goes off with someone else, sometimes divorce is the only other option. But again, still God hates it. Uh, and too many counselors now say, oh, it's just irreconcilable difference. Even counselors who profess to believe in the Bible. Oh, it's an irreconcilable difference. You'd be better off getting divorced. Well, I don't believe there's any such thing as irreconcilable differences. Right? We started irreconcilable. We started with great differences. You started with a man and a woman. <laughs> you can't get any more different than that, really. Different of, of the two different personalities of two people. And God has brought the two together and made them one. And thus, any difference can be reconciled in marriage when the principles of God's word are applied. And so there is always hope for any marriage situation if both parties are willing to work out of it, work at it. So a lot of people are wondering, why is the divorce rate in Israel so low? And this picture illustrates why the divorce rate in Israel is so low. <laughs> <laughs> Similar to this picture, when Barbara and I, we got married, we, uh, we decided to divide up responsibilities and where I would make all the big decisions and yet Barbara would make all the small decisions. But even when Barbara got to make a small decision, I still got the last say. And it's amazing, in 30 years, we haven't had to make any big decisions. 
Barbara has told me all our decisions are small decisions, and so she's made all the decisions. But I've still gotten to say the last say, and I've always said, yes, dear. And thus we've had a happy marriage. And actually, that's not a happy marriage, and that's not reality either. Uh, but I've seen marriages like that, and that is a dictatorship, not a marriage. And that is not the way to have a happy marriage. You want to have harmony together in the marriage. And I don't want to forget what to say, so... Okay. So, how to never have trouble in marriage. This is the one fail sure way to never have trouble in marriage. Don't get married. That's the only way because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7, 28, if you do marry, you will have trouble. <laughs> so if you're having trouble in your marriage or if you've ever had trouble in a marriage, well, that's normal. That's to be expected. That doesn't mean you continue with it because then you put the principles into place on how to work through the troubles that take place in marriage because, again, you're bringing two personalities together, two different people, two different sexes together into a marriage, and thus there's going to be conflict, there's going to be trouble. It comes along with the covenant comes along with the package. It's just there. Uh, but there are ways to learn to deal with it. And that's some of the stuff we'll be covering, how to deal with troubles in the marriage to make it a happy union and a happy marriage. But people are shocked. They think, oh, oh we got married and it's just supposed to work. It's just supposed to happen. It's just supposed to be, oh, we just love one another and everything's going to be terrific. And then when they hit a bump in the road or they hit some trouble, they think, oh no, it's all falling apart. Maybe we're not in love. Maybe we weren't meant to be. Maybe we have irreconcilable differences and then they just split up instead of working through the problems. And we can see why. I mean, we spend years and years, like what, 16 or more years preparing for a 40-year career, which is only part-time, often like, what, 40 hours a week or so. And we spend almost no time at all preparing for marriage, which is to be the rest of our lives, maybe 50 years, 60 years, 24-7. And then we're surprised when we have troubles. That's where, again, preparing for marriage is one of the best ways to then have a happy marriage. So, let's get into some of the ways to have a happy marriage. Starting with praying together. It's so wonderful and a blessing to have a prayer partner to be able to pray with on a daily basis. That's one of the blessings of marriage and should be utilized. Doesn't negate or supersede individual prayer time, and that's where, again, in preparation for marriage, everybody should be having their own personal prayer times, and then maybe even a prayer partner. It's good to match up with a prayer partner, find someone at least once a week that you pray with um, together regarding things. And it could be more often than that, or it could be more than one person that you call on a regular basis and have prayer together with. It's a tremendous blessing. Because as the Bible says, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that you ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Matthew 18, 19. And so having someone that you agree with and it's harmony with God's word, it's very powerful to pray together. And those marriages that pray together stay together. 
So a person should have their own personal prayer time, even in marriage, and then a family prayer time. The couple, have the children, and have the children a part of that too, praying together. There are voices and you know, people saying, oh, we need that prayer in school and prayer here and prayer there. The, we need that prayer in the home. <laughs> That's where prayer needs to be. In other places it can be okay as well, but we need to have prayer in the home. And the problem is not so much prayers out there. The problem in our society is there is no prayer in the home or not enough prayer in the home or not regular prayer in the home, not daily prayers in the home. And so start of your happy marriage with prayer and continual prayer, daily prayer. And then communication. Communication is so important because we spend a lot of time doing that, or we should spend a lot of time doing that in marriage, to getting to know one another, and that's why we should spend a lot of time communicating with one another in the dating process. And it's hard to communicate when you're kissing, and that's one of the reasons we recommended when, when you're dating to not kiss until the minister says at the wedding, you may now kiss the bride. So you've learned to communicate in the dating process and the getting to know each other, and Barbara and I, we put that into practice in our courtship. We didn't even hold hands until I asked for her hand in marriage and we got engaged. So that way the communication is vitally important because uh, intimacy and sex does not uh, take place nearly as often as communication does in a marriage. And so learning to communicate and communicating with each other. Becoming one flesh, and it takes work, it takes effort, and thus it takes communication, understanding the other person, knowing the other person, knowing their feelings and their thoughts, learning to communicate on their level. And the various different kinds of communication, uh, uh, the love language is a form of communicating, so it's not just verbal communication, but communicating on the inner level, on the heart level as well. In today's society, there's very little communicating going on. Again, a dating process might be a movie and then sex, and there's no communicating going on hardly at all. And then they take that into marriage and then wonder why they have problems. Uh, in society today, you can see two friends sitting in a, in a restaurant at a booth together, and they're not even talking to each other. They're not even looking at each other. Both of them are on their phones, just playing away on their phones, and they're just sitting together and no communicating. And communication today is probably worse than maybe it's ever been. Even though we have so many ways to communicate, and maybe there's so many ways of communicating is making it even harder to communicate. Where it used to be, you know, you, you, you communicate, you got a letter in the mail, you got a knock on the door, one or two ways, and you're able to communicate with the person. Uh, then we had phones, and so then, you know, you'd get a phone call. And then we had answering machines, and the person came home, they checked their answering machine, and you got your message, and, and you heard it. But now we have uh, messages on the phone. People don't even check those. And, and then you got uh, text messaging and emails and instant messaging. And I don't know them all. Tons of different ways. And there's so many different ways. People don't check them all, all the time. And then they don't get your message. <laughs> and so we're not communicating anymore. And then we've limited everything to 138 characters or whatever the stupid rule is there on that. that and so, you know, then people take out the dear so-and-so, that's eliminated, sincerely, or your friend, or with love, that's been eliminated, and, and so names get eliminated, and it all becomes impersonal, and just a quick fact there, here and there, and just reading it, and 
Some couples, they, they email each other. <laughs> they're not inside the room, they text each other when they're in their own home. And so we've lost the skill of communication. We've lost the importance of communication. And thus, we're not talking to each other. In society, we're not talking to each other. And I think that's part of the devil's plan to divide us and to keep us from unifying and becoming one in spirit and truth and heart and mind. And it's overlapped into marriages and in relationships in general. And so we need to communicate. There was this uh, husband, he came home one day, he decided to communicate more with his wife and, and be more honest with her. And he said, I wanted to let you know that uh, I think it's important for you to know that I'm seeing a psychiatrist. And she said, oh really? Well, I'm seeing a psychiatrist as well. And a doctor and two lawyers and a mechanic and uh, a plumber as well. You'll get that one later. Maybe I'll try that one. It sounded better when, when uh, Rodney Dangerfield told it. So. <laughs> 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 Take, <my wife> <laughs> Take my wife. All right, Deuteronomy 24, verse 5. When a man has taken a wife, he shall, go out not, he shall not go out to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home one year and bring, happy new, bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. That would be nice. Right? You date, you court, you get uh, engaged, you get married, and then you spend one year, can't go to war, no business transactions, you stay at home, making your wife happy. Well, that'd be terrific. So you earn up some money to be able to take a year vacation and spend that with your wife. I think if we tried that today, a person would have to save up and they wouldn't be able to marry till they're 67. <laughs> that might be safe. But, uh, but I think back then they already had their lots plotted out for them. The Lord designated their landmass and they spent that first year building their home on the back end of their family's uh, property, their parents' property. And so they spent that time preparing for the marriage. But the principle still should be the same. We should put, invest a lot of time and energy into that first year of marriage. Bonding together and getting to know each other on even a deeper level than during the courtship. And that would be a tremendous help in marriage. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife and they shall become one flesh. That doesn't mean he never talks to his mother or father anymore, but it separates that. Now the spouse becomes the primary person in their life. God still needs to be first, then the spouse second, then the congregation, God's work, God's people, and then the work and all other things then after that. God first, but then the spouse. And too often people do not separate in heart and mind from all the outside sources and they'll put their job first before their spouse and other people and activities and cliques and clubs and teams before the spouse. Spouse needs to be second. God first, the spouse second. Leave everything else behind. And in communication, perfecting communication to the point where you only make decisions after there is enthusiastic agreement on both parties, in both parties. 
And I can't think of a decision that Barbara and I have made where we were not first in enthusiastic agreement. We talk about everything, we discuss everything, we plan everything, and we make decisions together. Now, enthusiastic agreement doesn't mean you sell your idea until you convince the other person to come over to your side. That's not enthusiastic agreement, nor in compromise. I don't believe in compromising. I don't think there's, any, I don't see any need for compromising. In compromising, neither side is happy. Neither side got what they originally wanted. Both sides gave in on something of their original plan. And so if you can't come to agreement of what you want and he wants or she wants, then you need to find a third option or some other option and keep on digging away and talking away and pl plotting and thinking and, and devising and searching until you find something that you both can be enthusiastic about and in full agreement about. And so kind of like on a practical level, a small level, let's say what to, what to have for supper. So one person wants to go out, the other person wants to stay home. And so you can fight that out, you can battle that out, or you can find out what is the reason that my spouse would prefer to do one or the other. And when you're working from their side and come on their side to try and meet their need, it's a whole lot easier to find out a solution. And the solution may be big, maybe go order stuff from outside and bring it in. <laughs> You know, and if you can't decide, well, you're going to have Chinese or Italian or whatever. Maybe uh, you order, one gets their food from the Italian restaurant, one gets their food from the Chinese restaurant. The kids get it from Taco Bell or whatever. Right? You can work out something, just keep on working at whatever the decision needs to be until you find, don't make a decision, don't move forward until you're both in agreement, and not only in agreement, in enthusiastic agreement on the decision. It takes work, it takes effort, but as the Bible says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Right? So you need to come into agreement, and it should be an enthusiastic agreement, not just, well, okay, I'll give in this time, you get your way this time, I'll get my way next time. That's not a happy situation either. That's not unity, that's not oneness. Like I want calls the two to become one, and so maybe you can picture in your mind, uh, you know, children's race where they, where they put the potato sack, they put, each one puts one leg in the potato sack and they got to run uh, across to the finish line. They got to be going together. The stronger one can't run faster, they'll still both fall over. Right? They have to go together in unity together and have their legs moving at the same time, not only the same pace. And so the two to become one, we need to move together in decisions, big decisions, little decisions, every decision can be discussed. Now, Barbara's figured out a way. She discusses things with me when I'm brushing my teeth. That puts me at a disadvantage. <laughs> yeah, so, but uh, water running and, and uh, soap in my mouth. But, so what you want to do is work together, discuss it together. And when you learn to communicate with it, one another, then it becomes a whole lot easier. I knew one couple, and this is a true story. Uh, she, chose, she planned the whole wedding, and he chose the honeymoon. And he surprised her with where they're going on the honeymoon on the wedding night. And while he might not have cared about the colors and everything for the wedding, it still would have been better for them to plan it together and enjoy it together, and it's something, an activity 
to discuss together, and then the honeymoon as well. He chose Las Vegas, and it was certainly not on her bucket list. And the marriage did not last, not necessarily because of that, but I think the principle of not making decisions together uh, was a bad pattern to start with. And so, yes, make decisions, big decisions, small decisions, all the way through. And with decisions, one of the biggest decisions is money, financial decisions. Have a spending plan. And that, again, is something everyone should have before they're married or while they're married. Have a spending plan. Know where you're going to spend the money before you spend it. Not go to the store and then come out with a bunch of things and then figure out how you're going to pay it or how you're going to pay the credit card back. But to plan ahead of time, this is how much we have, this is how much we can afford, and this is what we want, this is what we need, or rather, this is what we need, and then this is what we want. And if we want something that we can't afford right now, well then how much can we put aside each month until we build up enough to be able to buy that thing that we want? And so plan out your spending plan, and if you need help with that, if you've never had done one, feel free to see me, I'd be glad to help you with setting up uh, teach you how to set up your own spending plan. Again, or some people call it a budget, but I like spending plan anyway. Planning how you're going to spend the money that God has placed in your disposable. Putting God first and then allocating down the line and not spending more than you have. Because the Bible says the borrower, Proverbs 22 verse 7, the borrower is slave to the lender. And being a slave is no fun. And so if you're in debt, credit card debt, or any other kind of debt, you are a slave to the one you borrowed from. MasterCard becomes your master. Maybe that's why they called it MasterCard. They rule over you as a slave master once they get you to use their card without paying it each month. And so... Another text out of Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. To love your spouse is one of the most loving things to do is to stay out of debt because financial problems is one of the biggest problems in marriages today. When there's financial problems and the blame game happens and all other kind of troubles take place and then all it takes is the devil to work some catastrophe, get, someone gets laid off of work and then the whole... Uh, house of cards starts falling down and so when that's not a problem when you have a spending plan and you have some savings and an emergency money and and some money put aside and planning things together then you're able to meet the problems and the troubles that come within marriage much better and having a spending plan forces enthusiastic agreement and it forces communication right? and so these all work together Again, all these are things that you can put in practice. Even enthusiastic agreement, you can learn to do enthusiastic agreement when your friends are and you're choosing to go out to eat or whatever you're choosing to do. Or at work and your teammates at work or at school, um, whatever uh, uh, situation you have, you can learn to work within the congregation. Learn to work towards a win-win situation, not a compromise, which is a lose-lose situation. And you don't either want a win-lose situation either. Uh, you want to win-win. Everyone's winning. Everyone's enthusiastic. Everyone's in agreement. And so communicate that way. Learn to work that way in whatever settings and especially in marriage. And have a spending plan.
love is. What is love? What's a good definition of love? How do you know if you're in love? A lot of people don't know. Very good. That's very good. We'll get to that in a minute. But one great definition of love is love is a choice. Love is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not something that, oh, I just feel love for this person. Love is a choice. If it's just based on feelings and emotion, what happens? And I've heard stories like this, if they're in a car accident and now basically in a coma for the rest of their life. Or incapacitated in some way, shape or form for the rest of your marriage. Then the marriage over? The person's not meeting your need anymore? Love is a choice, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no account of wrongs, love takes no pleasure in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never fails. All of those are choices. Choosing to be patient, choosing to be kind, choosing not to boast, choosing not to be envious, choosing not to be proud, choosing to keep no account of wrongs. None of those are feelings. If we went with feelings, then we would be impatient, then we would be selfish, we would be rude, we would be all about pride and self and build it up, and we would remember their wrongs. But it's a choice. We choose to love. And I think that's how it used to be. When parents would choose the spouse, I'm not necessarily saying that's the way to go or go back to that, but it used to be where parents would choose the spouse for, the kid when the, for, the, for their children when the, they were still kids. And they chose to stay married. Because that's what was chosen for them. And divorce was unheard of and they just stuck with it. It might not have been the happiest thing, maybe you would say, maybe they weren't happier, but now we have over 50% divorce rate, and that's not a happy situation. And that's among believers as well as unbelievers. Because a lot of believers aren't following these same principles either. And as Mark Gunger says, if you're breaking the rules and breaking the laws, like the laws of gravity, you're going around driving a 70 miles an hour around a 35 mile an hour curve, you're still going to go off the edge of that cliff, even if you prayed ahead of time, even if you're listening to some godly music, even if you have some religious icon hanging from your mirror, you're going off that cliff because you're breaking the rules of centrifugal force and of gravity, and you're going to go over that cliff. And so if we break these principles of a happy marriage, we're going to go over a cliff, even if we just pray or, or believe. So love is a choice. And when you're choosing, you can't fall out of love. Now there are feelings, there can be feelings, but the feelings won't always be there. When going through troubles and hardships and problems, whether in the marriage or something outside the marriage, it'll still affect the marriage. You won't necessarily be feeling love in that situation. And women go through different emotions because of their monthly cycle and then pregnancy, which changes their whole. So they're always feeling the same all the time. 
And men also don't feel the same all the time. And if we're relying on feelings to make it through 50, 60 years of marriage, it's not going to happen. That's why we say, in sickness or in health, for better or for worse, richer or poorer, not based on circumstances, not based on feelings, but based on a choice. I'm choosing, I'm standing here today before our friends and, and relatives, you know, making a holy covenant, a holy decision, holy legal agreement to stay through thick and thin by choice. We're making this choice. So love is a choice. God doesn't love you because you're wonderful. God doesn't love you because you're beautiful or because you're talented. God doesn't love you because of what you can do for him. God doesn't love you because he feels love towards you. God loves you because he chose to love you. While we were yet sinners, Yeshua died for us. While we were enemies of his, while we hated him and in full rebellion against him, he loved us and gave his son for us. That's a choice. That's not feelings. And we can choose to love the spouse of our youth. We can choose to love no matter what. That way we won't fall out of love. We don't fall in love and we don't fall out of love. We do if it's all just feelings. I've had people tell me, oh, I don't love this person anymore. Well, they're choosing not to love this person anymore. Or I never loved this person. Oh, they love to throw that zinger in. Really hurt them. I never really loved you. And I look at the picture of the four kids. Where'd these things come from? They fall out of the sky? He raped you four times? Where did these, these kids come from? <laughs> you know? Why'd you allow him more than one? If he, did, if he raped you once, why'd you, allow, why'd you stay with it the second time? Never loved this person? Married 30 years? Never loved this person? But love is a choice. And so they're saying, I am choosing not to love this person anymore. And they can choose to love that person as well. Because the choice is ours. And so we can make the right choice and stay with it. And then giving love, right? So love is something that we give. Love is a choice and choosing to give love. It's not something to get. If we get into a relationship trying to get something out of it, we will fall short. We will never be satisfied. No other human being will ever give you enough to satisfy you. You will just suck them dry. And they will suck you dry. God is love. Thus, he is the source of love. Thus, all love emanates from him. And when we are filled with God's love, God fills us and it overflows then to the other person and we're able to give love towards the other person. And if that other person is being filled with God's love, they're able to overflow love towards us as well. And then both parties are giving and then both parties are happy. We're most happy when we're giving love. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And so love gives. Love is giving. The only way, again, we can give love, true love, is by being filled with God's Holy Spirit. Having self-cleansed away and buried away, accepting the death of the Messiah for our own 
as our death and for, for our selfishness and our human nature and letting that be buried away because we're born greedy, we're born selfish, we're born take, 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 take. We need to surrender that to the Lord, accept His cleansing, accept His Holy Spirit, and then He puts His mind into us, which is a giving mind. And He'll give us the ability to give love unconditionally. If it's conditioned on something, on receiving something back, then that's not a giving love, that's still a taking love. I'm going to give to this, but now I'm going to expect back. Right? So we can give love, we can wish someone a happy birthday, and if they don't say thank you, or don't send the appreciation card or whatever, you can still give love. That's up to them. That's their problem, not your problem. We can continue to give love, whether it's reciprocated or not. Now, often when we're giving love and giving love and giving love, it will be reciprocated. God first loved us and causes us to love him back. Again, not always. When we see situations where it hasn't always worked that way. In God's realm, God has poured out his love upon the world. And the majority of the world are not giving it back, but God doesn't fall apart because Adam and Eve rebelled against him. God didn't fall apart because his love was not received. God is secure. And we can be content in God's love for us. And when we're content and we come into a relationship, content, whether it's a friendship relationship, and again, this is something you can practice before marriage, being content, and content in friendships, content at work, content in your lot in life, while still wanting to improve and still grow, but content at every level, then we're able to just give and not having expectations of them meeting our needs. Our needs are already met through God. And we can be content with what God has given to us. And then we're not looking to others to meet our needs because God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. He doesn't say God will meet 50% of your needs and you need to get 25% from your spouse and 25% from your boss and another percentage from your kids and another percentage from your parents. God will meet all your needs. Emotional, physical, financial, all your needs according to his riches and glory. And when we're content with God meeting our needs, then we're able to give. We're able to give service to our employers, we're able to give love to our spouses, we're able to give love to our children, even if they reject it, we're able to give love to our parents and to others because we are content. That's how Yeshua lived, right? He didn't live kidding, right? He didn't care. The disciples leave him, God leave him. <laughs> I'm okay with it. Run away, run away. It's okay, I'm still secure. He was still at peace no matter what happened. And we can be content and at peace as well when we have that connection with God. We need to have that before marriage. And again, those love languages, giving love, give it and communicate love on the love languages. The five love languages, if I can remember them, let's see, uh, gifts, physical gifts, verbal affirmations, time, service, and touch. touch. Very good, thank you, All right, touch. All right, those are five love languages and we need to give love to the other person and love it that language that they receive. Just like in physical languages, speaking languages, uh, if you're speaking a language that other person doesn't understand, you're speaking Japanese and they don't understand Japanese, you can say, I love you, or you can be cursing them and they have no idea what you're saying. Right? And so same with the love languages. Here's an example, let's say 
you're living in your home and, and uh, someone buys the house next door, or I won't say you, I'll say this person, so they go next door to show love to their neighbor. And uh, they like time and, and, uh, and verbal affirmation, so they go over and they compliment them on their nice car and their nice couch and invites himself in and he, and he spends an hour talking to him and talking to him and talking to him. And then he goes back home and he tells his spouse, oh, I just met our new neighbors and I just welcomed them in and I just showed them how friendly we are as neighbors and as a neighborhood. And that guy, the neighbor, he turns to his wife and says, that guy, he came over here, and let's say his love language is gifts. And he says, that guy came over here, he wasted all his time, and he didn't even bring a housewarming gift, and now it's too late, the stores are closed, I can't go buy that birthday gift for my post office, for my, for my uh, employer's nephew's niece's friend's son, you know? And, and uh, so he loves to give gifts, and he wants to give gifts, and he didn't receive a gift, and so no love was transferred even though on the first person's part, he was wanting to give love, but the other guy didn't receive any love because he didn't give it in his language. And so find out, there's some tests online you can do, and find out your spouse's love language, find out your own language, love language, and try and give love in their language. Or maybe better yet, just continually give love in all five ways. Uh, continually affirm the other person. Spend time with each other. Touch each other in loving ways and serve one another and do things for one another and be there for one another. And I'm missing one of them. I forget again now. What? And give gifts, right. So give gifts, right. So gifts are good too, right. So give love. First Peter 3, 7, Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. Marriage, again, is giving. Giving in all different aspects. Giving their life, as that other text said, spending a year making their spouse happy. It's our job, is to make our spouse happy. Happy spouse, happy house. Right? So, husbands, give And then be affectionate. There should be affection in marriage. And again, all these things can be practiced. Appropriate type of affection. Uh, even with friends, pat on the back, handshakes. Right? Uh, there's ways to demonstrate affection. Even again, verbal affection, praises and nice words. And uh, be affectionate. So in marriage, there should be affection. Uh, but also the physical affection. Uh, sex would be in marriage. Not outside of marriage, but in marriage. Sex is an appropriate uh, form of affection that needs to be a part of marriage. And that seems like a no-brainer. But I've spoken with people that aren't having, aren't having regular sexual experiences within marriage. And so one, some of the problems is because they were having so much before marriage, become so old hat, and then when they're in marriage, it no longer has that flame. It no longer has that bond that it was meant to have. And, and if they were sleeping around with lots of other people, Again, it destroys that intimacy of marriage. That's why uh, virginity, coming into marriage as virgins, is ideal. And it's pure and holy, and that is the bond, and then it's, it's uh, unique to that couple. And it should be, as listed here, when all these other things are done, sex and marriage won't be a problem. 
if there's no sex in marriage but these other things are not done you're not gonna fix it by having sex in marriage that's not gonna fix lack of communication lack of giving love uh, uh, being in debt um, not being in agreement and not praying together and so if there's not sex in the marriage go through and cycle through and start with this other list start praying together start communicating start working on communicating until you're enthusiastic about every decision and have a spending plan and choose to love that other person in spite of whether sex is there or other problems and give love even if it's not given back and then you will have the most wonderful sex ever when all these other things are in place I've had people tell me married decades and now we hardly ever had sex throughout our marriage and we're getting a divorce now actually we've signed the papers and uh, divorce is, is uh, or just about to sign the paper, whatever. The, 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 it's been noticed, it's been given. We're, we're, we're going through the divorce process. Is there any hope again? They've already separated. Is there any hope again back together? Would you like to get to back? No, 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 no. No way. They did so much. They did this. Hardly ever had sex. Well, how many times did you counsel? Who'd you counsel with? Oh, we've never gone for counsel. You've been married for decades, and throughout that time, you hardly ever had sex few times a year and you're just telling me this now what you've been waiting for get counseling when there's problems in marriage and there will be troubles in marriage follow these principles and if all these principles are still being practiced and there's still troubles then get counseling again if you were at work and you had a problem that you didn't know the solution to you would ask someone else, right? Or you'd go online, or you'd read a manual, or you'd read a book, or something. You would find help from outside with the situation. But marriage, we treat totally differently. Like it should, again, just be this magical, it should, should all work all together forever. And it should never have a breakdown, it should never have a problem, it should never not work. But it's not, it's not reality. So get counsel. Seek godly counsel. And come together in marriage. Don't wait for the last time. And so how often should sex be in marriage? Well, this young man, uh, he was, he was just before his marriage, and so he was speaking with his father, and he asked his father, he said, Dad, how often do you and Mom have sex together? And his father said, we have sex almost every night. And the, boy, the young man said, Really? Even at your age, you, you have sex almost every night? He said, yeah. Like, for example, this week. On Sunday, we almost had sex. On Monday, we almost had sex. On Tuesday, we almost had sex. We have sex almost every night. <laughs> but it should be part of marriage. And if, sex, if intimacy is not there, then work on having, again, work on these other areas, and then and again, if it's still a problem, maybe counsel it through, get a counselor, a godly counselor who's not going to tell you there's irreconcilable differences. Don't counsel with someone who's an expert because he's been married five times. Right? Find someone who's putting these practices into principle and has been married with a single person for a long time and happy in marriage and has a happy marriage. Seek godly counsel, not someone who's going to tell you to get divorced because the Bible already said, we just read it, God hates divorce. And so any counselor who runs to that option is not a godly biblical counselor. 
speaking directly against what God loves, the holy institution of marriage. And again, every marriage can be worked. It's worked right if these principles are applied. All right, so the analogy that we gave, driving around that curve at 70 miles an hour, 35 mile an hour curve, a person who doesn't have a driver's license and who's not legal age, but drives around that curve at 35 miles an hour has a very good chance of making it around that curve, right? Because they're following at least that principle of that law, right? So even if there were problems in the marriage, even if it was unequally yoked in the beginning and now you're a believer or whatever, following these principles, you can still have a happy marriage. And to put these principles into place, Work on them, whether you're married or um, or not yet married. These are good principles to have in place, to have a happy life, and to have a happy marriage. And so, in a moment when we pray, if you have been divorced, if you're divorced because of the past, whether you were a believer then or not a believer then, but you want God to cleanse that, whatever problems were on your part, and it always takes two to tango, the moment when we pray, you can surrender that to the Lord, ask the Lord to cleanse you of whatever it was, and that brokenness that took place from that, from the violence, not necessarily physical violence, but a violence of splitting two, just splitting one into two, back into two, let God heal you and heal the, cleanse the influence that it had on others and the hurt that it caused to others so that you can live whole today and move in God's plan for tomorrow. Secondly, if you're married or not married, but this area, any area here is not a part of your life, if there's some area where you're not praying, not praying with others, uh, or not praying on your own also, or not good with communicating, and I'm not talking saying words smoothly, but I mean getting along in communication, and not in agreement with people and have a hard time agreeing and getting things done together in a team setting, or you don't have a personal spending plan, or as a family or as a couple, you don't have a spending plan, or if you thought love was about getting or love was about feeling, and you haven't felt like you've been getting enough from other people, or if you haven't been affectionate, whether in love, not having sex on a fairly regular basis in your marriage, or, or not affectionate as a person, not, again, giving love in affectionate ways of telling people how nice they are, or complimenting people, or ever handshakes, or pats on the backs, or appropriate forms of affection. And it's got to work in those areas of your life. It's got to heal whatever is keeping you from being able to do those things, to remove it, whatever, if it's sin-related or past-related or whatever the issues in your life, let God fill you with his spirit and work healing in your life so that you can have a happy life and so you can have a happy marriage. And let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we are thankful for your word and we're thankful for the principles in it. We're thankful, Lord, for your guidance that it gives us. Thank you, Lord, that from the very beginning you blessed marriage and put Adam and Eve together in holy, happy matrimony together, marriage that lasted 900 years or so, 800-something years. And so, Lord, fill us 
with unity in our hearts and minds, unity with you. Make us one with you. Make us content with you. And in our relationships with friends, family, work associates, school, and in marriage, make us one. Put these principles into practice in our lives. Forgive us for not doing them. And for whatever reason is keeping away from doing them. Break Satan's hold over our lives. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Live in us and out of us. And for those of us who have been divorced, work a healing in our hearts and in our minds. Heal the wound that's been caused through the separation, through the cutting asunder of that which was one. There are any children involved, heal the effects it's had upon them. If it hurt our parents or siblings or others that saw and was a bad example. To our ex, the wounds that took place upon them. Lord, work your healing. Forgive us and cleanse us for the areas that we had faults in that. Fill us with your spirit and your power. Live in us and out of us. Your honor and glory, and may our lives individually and as married couples demonstrate your unity, your love, your power, your grace. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.